We come here to our uh, midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trehearn. Also, once again, welcome to those faithful with us via internet all over the world and also FM Signal here in town. Please open the hymnals number 248. 248. Why not now? 248. <clears throat> Yeah. 
Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for that invitation that is given in thy word, that today is a day of salvation for anyone that is lost. Today is the best day, the right day for those to come to thee. And really there's no reason why the lost don't come except for their pride that keeps them from humbling themselves and turning to thee. I pray for anyone listening to us today that's not saved, that they might see that they have no no reason for avoiding salvation and that if their life were to end today they would go straight to hell. <clears throat> pray that they would understand that, that they would be struck by that and see the need to repent and know thee today. We thank thee for those who are listening and are saved. We pray that they would glorify thee, that each one would want to glorify thee, that we would want to be faithful to thee and help others to know the truth in these days of grace. We pray for our country of Canada. Pray for the salvation of many in our governments as well as uh, citizens. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that many would be saved in that country. And we continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine with Russia. Pray for souls to be saved there, and for Mr. Zelensky and Mr. Putin to be saved, and for the United States, for Mr. Biden, for our Prime Minister, and for others. We pray, Father, that we'd have boldness as we need to, to reach the lost and to speak the truth and help people to see their need to repent and know thee today. So we thank thee again for the opportunity to meet together and for those that are live streaming with us and for those that listen to our sermon audio later. Pray that each one would receive thy word as truth and want thy blessing in their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your handles on over to number Life will all be glorified. 
Jesus in one shall gather to the wrong the other sky, and the roll is called up yonder out in the air. Let us talk of all this wondrous love and care. Then when all the life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Please come forward, Pastor. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I'd just like to welcome those that are listening to us via live streaming, as well as those that listen to us after the service, pick it up on sermon audio afterwards. We are reaching this month, we're reaching 17 countries as of this morning. Every month, uh, the number changes. And uh, we're thankful for those that have found us, thankful for the Lord giving us an opportunity to reach into homes in other countries, and uh, we're trusting that each one will take heed to the Word of God and be blessed by the Word of God, that the lost will get saved and the saved will be strengthened and glorify God. We're living in the last days, and the last days are a time of falling away uh, but in the midst of that God is still saving sinners so we're going to read from 1st Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 and we'll stand please for the reading of God's word 1st Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 it says now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word, thankful for the warnings given to us in thy word of the danger that there is of falling away, of not holding to the truth, not believing the truth, not living in such a way as to impress upon our children that we believe the truth. 
and we realize that we are living in the last days. The doctrines of devils are very common today. And yet the sad thing is that very few people actually believe thy word and actually believe that there are such a thing, is such a thing as a doctrine of the devil. And I pray that thou wouldst help us as we look into these verses and others, that we might understand the importance of knowing the truth, first of all, knowing the true God, being born again through the blood of Jesus Christ, being a part of a true church where we can be taught the truth, where we can fellowship together with other believers, where we can be challenged from the word of God. I pray, Father, that thou wouldst help us. We pray for those that are listening from the different countries that we're reaching. We thank thee for the open doors that we have. I pray that we would be faithful to thee and not become proud and arrogant, but faithful to thee and allow thy word to do its work in the hearts and lives of others. Most of the people that listen, we have not met and probably will not meet. But we're thankful that we have an opportunity to reach into hearts and homes in other countries. And we pray that thy will would be accomplished. We want to be vessels fit for the master's use, that we can be a blessing and a help to others. So may thy will be accomplished, both here and abroad, that we would glorify thee, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> One of the things that the Bible makes very clear to us is that truth is very important. There's no substitute for the truth. Uh, we talked about that in our morning devotional, but Pilate asked the question of Jesus, what is truth? He didn't need to ask that question. He acted as if he was confused because the Judaizers, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers... And the multitude of the people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. There were many that brought false accusations against Jesus, but none of them could agree with one another in regard to their false accusations. And Pilate even knew that the Jews had brought Jesus to him out of envy. They knew that the Jew, or he knew that the Jews had no case. And yet Pilate foolishly and uh, not ignorantly, but foolishly chose to play a game with Jesus and with the people. A very deadly game. And it cost him his soul. His wife warned him not to have anything to do with Jesus. She had suffered many things in dream because of Jesus. And yet he carried on playing his game. Today, there are also many people who are still playing games with God and with his word, still doubting the truth, still not willing to be serious with the truth. I sent out an email this week to someone that has, a, I don't know what you'd call it, I don't think it's a blog, it's something other than a blog, but some, they have the... They have a thing where they've had different speakers over the last couple of weeks talking about issues that we're facing. And uh, I don't know how my name got on their email list, but they sent me it. So I listened to some of what the people had to say. And some of them, they had some, some uh, interesting things to say. But 
what was missing in all of them is that they didn't realize the importance of trusting in the Lord. That was not part of their discussion. So I wrote to the person who sent me the link in the first place, and I don't know who she is. I don't even know where she lives. But uh, anyway, I sent, I sent her an email, and I said that one of the things that you're missing, and the greatest thing that you're missing, is you don't have a true church that you're attending. You don't seem to believe in the Bible, and you're not interested in the truth, and that's what you need. And uh, the person actually wrote me back and said, thanked me for uh, corresponding and said that we're on such different wavelengths that uh, there's no point in uh, us even trying to talk to one another. And, uh, and that was the end of that. And, and I had no interest in uh, striking up a conversation with this person. I just wanted the person to see the need to trust in the Lord. But that's, that's a very typical response of many people today. They're not interested in the truth. They have their own truth. And they want their truth to be acknowledged and to be accepted. And that's the problem. People are rejecting the local church. But they're, they're still hungry for something. And so they form these kinds of groups that this person is promoting. And they're trying to solve spiritual problems in a secular manner. As we look at this evening's message, the title is Growing Apostasy. And as we look at it, we see that apostasy was already there in the first century, and it continued to grow and is still growing today because people don't want to follow the truth. They're not interested in the truth. And so the first thing that we want to look at is heresies of the first century. Heresies of the first century. Now, we already have looked at first century churches last week, but there are some heresies that were developed in the first century that we need to be aware of and, and see that all of those heresies are still around today. <clears throat> and so the first one, which is one that we're addressing in our devotionals that we're doing right now from Galatians, the book of Galatians, but that's Jewish legalism. <clears throat> and Jewish legalism, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, and as I said in one of our recent devotionals, is that most people that throw out that accusation, oh, you're a legalist, they don't even know what they're talking about. It's a, it's a term that uh, sounds nice, and uh, they think it carries weight and that it's going to uh, be effective, and so that's what they claim that people that want to follow God, you're a legalist. And that's an accusation that has been brought against me many times, more than I can count. And when it was first made against me, I tried to figure out, you know, am I a legalist? You know, what, what is this legalism that they're talking about? And as I've studied the scripture over the years, that's where I've come to realize that the people that throw out that term, they don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> and so they think that someone who is seeking to glorify God and seeking to uphold his law, not as a means of salvation, but out of love for him, they call that legalism. 
Whereas in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, it says there, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, if you have room in your margin, you might want to write there, that's legalism. That's legalism. Legalism is someone who wants to add to the word of God, add works to the God's work of salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Bible says. A legalist is someone who says, unless you do this, you can't be saved. And in, in, the, the, in Jerusalem here, in, in, in Israel, I should say, and in Asia, where the Jews were as well, but it says in Judea that the Jews were saying... And they were teaching the brethren, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, where does the Bible say that? Nowhere. doesn't say that anywhere. In the Old Testament, the Jews were required to be circumcised, the male Jews were required to be circumcised as being part of the Jewish nation. But it didn't save them. There were many Jewish men that were circumcised that died in the wilderness. They never entered the promised land. They perished in their sins. The sons of Korah, the earth opened up and swallowed up 250 of them. They perished, and yet those men were circumcised. So that was not, God never intended for circumcision to be the means of salvation. Spiritual circumcision, which is something we don't do for ourselves, something God does for us, is what happens at salvation. When God cuts the heart and cuts away the, the flesh, the sin, and saves the person. But that's a work of God. And so in verse 2 it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and, and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So we see here that Paul and Barnabas, who were at this time still together, but they were not willing to accept this heresy of you need to be circumcised to be saved. And they were disputing with these Judaizers, is what they were termed as. Jews who didn't accept that Jesus Christ was enough, but that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Paul and Barnabas were arguing with them. They were disputing with them. And it was so strong that it was determined that they needed to hold a Jerusalem council to figure out, to give an answer to this heresy. And so the apostles came together and others as well with them, and they discussed this matter. And they settled it. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I mean, it was already settled in God's mind. In the scriptures, it was already settled. But it needed to be addressed and uh, publicly answered. 
So in Galatians 1, verse 6, it says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So again, here we have the Judaizers, and that's what Paul is addressing in Galatians, who were coming to these people that were saved, and they were convincing them that they needed to have something more. And so Paul clarifies it in verses 7 and 8. He says there, uh, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert. To pervert something is to twist it, to corrupt it. We have over a hundred perversions of the Bible. There are people that tell me, oh, that's too strong a word. You shouldn't use that word. Well, we need to get back to what the Bible says. And God uses very clear and very plain language to call out sin and to call out corruption. And because today we want to soft-pedal sin, we see sin advancing. We see more and more churches being corrupted because people don't know anymore what is absolute truth. In fact, they're not even sure if there is any absolute truth. And that's a problem. So Paul goes on in verse 8 and he says, but though we, so Paul even is talking about himself here. He's saying, though we, or even an angel from heaven. So even if an angel were to broadcast from heaven, and he says, we preach any other gospel unto you than that which which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now Paul is not writing this simply as a man with an idea. He's writing this under the inspiration of God. So Paul is telling the people in Galatia, in the, in the area of Galatia, and all that would read this letter, including us, that anybody, even if we would hear a voice from heaven preaching some other gospel than salvation by faith through grace in Jesus Christ alone, the blood he shed on the cross of Calvary, any other gospel, let him be accursed. And he repeats that again in verse 9. Now, that's legalism. When someone wants to take the pure message of the cross and corrupt that and add something else to it, that is legalism. And that needs to be addressed. As we noted in 1 Timothy chapter 4 again, just go back there and, and again notice the language that God uses here. Again, Paul writing there, and he's not making up the words himself. God is telling him what to write. And in verse 1, now the Spirit, that's capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly. And again, the Holy Spirit is not speaking of himself. He's speaking what God tells him to speak and what Jesus tells him to speak. And he says that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits. You notice the word spirits there is small s. That's the devil and his fallen angels. And doctrines of devils. That's pretty plain, pretty powerful language that is an offense to many people today. 
And people that are following the perversions, people that are going to the many new evangelical and emergent churches today, that, but that's not us. That, we're not following doctrines of devils. But yes, they are. Because they're not following what the Bible says. They have mixed in lies with truth, and when you do that, you don't have the truth. Jesus talked to the to the Pharisees and said, you've made the, the word of God of none effect by your traditions. It's not that the word of God was no longer effective, but with their mixing it, their teaching, it was useless. It was worthless. And the people needed to understand that. And so as Jesus was telling the Pharisees that there were many others listening to him. And that's what offended the Pharisees so much. And when Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Pharisees and the Judaizers, which would be the Sadducees and the lawyers and the scribes and that whole, that whole group, they attacked the apostles and other Christians because they hated that Jesus had exposed them. And the apostles were doing the same thing. They were exposing the false teaching. And today we don't want that. Let's just get along. And so Jewish legalism began already in the first century, but it, today we can't even call it just plain Jewish legalism. Its roots are there. But there are many people today that like to use that word legalism, and uh, there are many today that have added works to salvation. So that's one of the heresies that developed in the first century and continued to grow to today. Another one is antinomianism. Now that's a word that you use every day when you're talking to other people, right? We all talk about antinomianism. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 6. How do you spell it? A-N-T-I-N-O-M. I-A-N-I-S-M Antinomianism Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, antinomianism, simple understanding of antinomianism is lawlessness. And the idea, the thinking behind antinomianism is, as it says here in these two verses in Romans chapter 6, we're saved by grace, so therefore we can do whatever we want because we live under God's grace. And Paul, often in his letters, he begins... God's peace and grace unto you. Term, terms like that. We need God's peace. We need God's grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that we cannot live as Christians apart from God's grace. That's where we get our strength from. But God's grace, I remember years ago talking to a Calvinist. And uh, that was his excuse for sin. Well, you know, we're, we're saved by grace. I talked to a man this week, he's not saved, uh, he has no interest in the truth, and I told him that he should join us for our Bible readings that we have at our house every morning, 
And he said, well, maybe I'll come someday, but uh, not right now. And I got too many things going on, he says. And I said, well, you know, your life is coming to an end and, uh, you, you know, you're not ready. And he said, well, you know, when I get up there, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. He says, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to, than to um, what's the phrase, than to do right. Just ask for forgiveness after you've sinned. And so really, without him even, prob- he probably doesn't even know what the, name, the term Calvinism is. But that, that's how he's living. I'm going to do what I want, and I'll just ask forgiveness afterwards. That doesn't wash. But that's what antinomianism is. It's a, it's a lawlessness. I don't accept the law of God. I don't follow it. You know, we have, we've addressed it here many times, but one of the key things that we're facing in our time today is the issue of divorce and remarriage. And there are so many people in independent Baptist churches that, that don't know what the answer is to that. They don't know how to address it. Not because the Bible isn't clear on it, but because they don't like the absolute law of God. It's far too hard to think that a man can marry a woman and that they can remain together for the rest of their lives, which can be 50, 60, 70 years. Well, what if we don't get along? What if we don't agree with one another? Surely there must be a way that we can end this, this thing and find somebody else that we can agree with. And so instead of understanding that when our hearts are right with God, I can look at my wife almost 50 years married now and I can still tell her honestly that I love her. And she can still tell me that honestly. And we don't have to have our separate part of the house where we live and the other part and once in a while we might cross paths but we're careful not to bump into each other because we don't want to start a fight. We don't have to live that way. We can get along. And the, the reason we can get along is when we live by God's grace. Not that we can sin and get away with it but when we get our strength and our wisdom and our direction from God. And when we understand, each one of us, the importance of humility, submitting to one another in the fear of God, first of all, then we can get along. And we can truly love one another. Any couple can do that. It's the way God intended it to be. But today, well, I married wrong in the first place. I made a mistake, but now I found the real one. No, God doesn't accept that. He doesn't accept that. And you see, we do people a favor when we point out what God says. And it's like I've said many times, the problem that I find, at least in churches, is that we don't do enough teaching on premarital. We, we wait until there's a problem, and then when the horse is long out of the barn, or now we're trying to bring him back in, but he's so happy to be free, he doesn't want to come back in the barn. And that's our problem. We don't teach the importance of marriage and how important it is to realize that 
you are getting married, that is for life. Unless your spouse dies, you are married to that person for life. Understand that. And if you're not ready for that, then you don't, you're not ready to get married. And that's why for me, I have changed my practice in regard to officiating at weddings. I used to think that as a pastor, it was my privilege and I guess in a sense responsibility. If anybody would come to me and ask me to officiate at their wedding, I should do it because I had an opportunity to be a witness to them. That was what I thought. But I don't believe that that was right, as I've studied the scriptures. I believe that lost people, they don't want God in their lives anyway. So go to the justice of the peace. They don't know what a wedding is anyway. They'll marry two men. But go and see them. And for me, my responsibility is to officiate for those who know the fear of God and are a part of this local church. Well, that's going to really limit the amount of people that I can officiate at their weddings. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. You see, it's not a matter of how many people's wedding certificates I can have my, my signature on. And that's something that we need to understand. And, and lost people, yeah, they need to be saved, first of all. And, and it is good to be able to witness to lost people and to counsel them in regard to what marriage is supposed to be. But unless they're willing to get saved, then their marriage is, is on very shaky ground anyway. Marriage is, is an important doctrine of God that needs to be taught very carefully and needs to be understood in a much more holy manner than it is today for many people. So that's just one example, but antinomianism is the lawlessness. It's the, that we live by grace, and so therefore God's going to overlook my sin because after all, he saved me, so I'm good to go. Another heresy that developed in the first century is charismaticism. Now, the charismatic movement, that I don't know when that name was coined, I didn't look it up, but you won't find that name in the Bible. But the philosophy by which the charismatics function is clearly found in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And we don't have time to read all of that, but charismaticism, what it does is it elevates the person and work of the Holy Spirit to a place that he doesn't have. If you go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, let's look there at, at a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 23 to 33. And here is one of the excesses of the charismatic movement. Verse 23 to 33, it says, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? See, we have in our 
church here, we, we could possibly carry a conversation here in three languages. We have English, that's the language we all can speak. My wife and I can speak German, not as good as we used to. My wife grew up low German, I grew up high German, and uh, I learned low German to some degree when, when I worked among some low German people and wanted to share the gospel with them, so I learned how to speak low German to be able to share the gospel with them. And then we have Filipinos, and there are many dialects there. So supposing that I would speak to you in high German, my wife would be speaking in low German, and you Filipinos are speaking in a couple of your dialects, and, and another one is speaking in English here. Someone walk into this building, they would say, what's going on in there? They might understand the English person, but the rest of it, they'd say, what a bunch of noise. What are they talking about? That's what Paul is talking about here. Tongues in the Bible need to understand our languages. They're not this angelic language that the Charismatics claim that they are given when they are baptized, so-called, with the Holy Ghost. It's not, that's not found in the Bible. Paul talks about, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but he doesn't say that there's an angelic language that, that he could speak. But if he could even speak that. And we know that when the angel is going to be flying across the sky with a, the gospel message, he's going to be speaking in a language that the people on earth are going to understand. It's not going to be gibberish. What's the purpose? So we go on here, and verse uh, 24, it says, but if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. So you see, prophecy is in a common language. In Bible times, prophets had the ability to foretell the future because God gave them that. They didn't use tarot cards, they didn't use a crystal ball. God would give them visions, dreams, or just speak to them in some way and give them a message. That's what Paul received at times because the scriptures weren't completed. But when they prophesied, they spoke in a language that everybody could understand. And so in the Old Testament for the Jews, that language was Hebrew. Daniel, being a captive in Babylon, he learned some Aramaic. In the New Testament, the language the Jews spoke at the beginning of the New Testament was Hebrew. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts still addressed the Jews at times in the Hebrew tongue. And the language of the common people was Greek. So, but it was a language that the people understood. And so he says, if someone comes in as prophesying and, and others come into the room... Like me, for some, I'm not foretelling the future, but I am forthtelling the future. I'm simply repeating things that God has given us. So if someone comes in, sits down, he can understand what I'm saying. Because I'm speaking in a language that's common to people. So in verse 25 it says, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face he will worship God and report that God is of as in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, 
When ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak to you or speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Years ago, we had a woman tending our church, and uh, she was a charismatic. She attended for a while. And this one Sunday I was preaching, and I don't remember what I was preaching on, but she all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, she says, I feel like getting up and speaking in tongues. And I said to her, no, you don't. Because I knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to get up and babble. And that wasn't going to happen in our church. That woman was deceived. And, uh, you know, that's the problem when, when people are of that mentality that's where a pastor needs to take leadership. There has to be order in the house of God. You can't just let, well, I don't know what to say, and I'm Tim, and I don't want people to leave. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll, I'll put up with it. And I might say something later, I might not. Another service we were in, uh, uh, um, an evangelist was there, and he was going to, I can't remember where to now, but he said uh, sometimes he feels like praying in the Holy Ghost. And I said, not here, you're not. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. You see, people are so ignorant. Again, that's something that we need to say, sorry, this is not biblical. And that charismatic flavoring that, that was here already in Paul's day has grown. And it's grown, again, because very few people understand what the truth is. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. Anybody can read the Bible if they're saved and understand it. Every born-again Christian needs to understand that the Bible is the Word of God. Man's opinions count for nothing. The Bible is the Word of God. So in verse 29, it says, Let the prophet speak by two or three, and then and let the other judge. So an interpreter is important. If we had someone that came into here and started asking me questions in German, for instance, I would have to repeat that question so that the rest of you understood what's he asking. And then I could answer it to him in German, but I would also have to give it to you in English, or somebody would have to, because what is the point? You know, it's like in some of our meetings that we have and people talk, talk in, in a Filipino dialect and I can't understand them. So I'm getting nothing out of that conversation because I don't understand them. And God says that in a church, that, that, don't, that won't help. There's no point in it. And so in, it says here in verse 30, it says, If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. So again, if, if God 
if, if, you, if you hear someone speaking and you think you have something that you want to add to it, you don't just interrupt and start talking while the preacher is preaching. You can put your hand up and you can say, uh, can I add something? And if the, the pastor wants to let you, okay, fine. If he doesn't, then just sit down and be quiet. You can talk to the pastor afterwards. But some people, especially in the charismatic camp again, they think that they are so blessed of God, the Holy Spirit just dropped a bomb on them and they got to share it. It's a, it's a, it's a disorderly confusing mentality and so Paul here is addressing tongues and that's one of the excesses within the charismatic movement they don't understand what biblical tongues is they don't understand that the first time the Bible talks about tongues it's a judgment upon mankind so all of a sudden in their minds a judgment of God becomes a blessing of God very strange how that can happen but that's what they believe but it's a judgment of God if it wasn't for the sin of the people back there and building that tower of Babel we could communicate with anybody in the world with a common language <clears throat> and that would certainly be helpful when it comes to the gospel as I said earlier, we're reaching into 17 countries right now. Last month, in total, we reached into 24 countries. So some of those countries, there, Israel is one of them. We have actually some from the Philippines this month. I think we had a few last month, too. We have from Spain. And uh, I can't remember all the countries now, but there's 17 of them right now. And, and so those people are speaking different languages. I'm assuming they're also speaking English because otherwise what would be their point of tuning into us? But, you know, there are, they have different languages in their countries. And so it, it's very helpful for us to have that common language that we can help them to know the truth. Another one of the excesses of the charismatic movement is their unbiblical healing. Now, God still heals. And God gives us instructions in James chapter 5 about how we should approach that matter of healing. But the charismatics don't do that. They claim to have their faith healers who travel around from this place to the next place, and they are so-called gifted in healing. Well, in the Bible, the apostles were given the gift of signs and wonders. They could do healings because... The people needed to know who were the prophets. And we see in the book of Acts that the sons of Sceva, they tried to copy what Paul was doing, and they got beat up. Not by Paul, but by the evil spirits. And so unbiblical healing is a problem. And then also the so-called word of faith where the charismatics claim that, well, you know, the Spirit gave me this message and i got to share it. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus Christ. So if the Holy Spirit reminded you of something, then you should be able to turn to a passage in the Bible and say, here, look here, here it is. But no, they don't do that. Their message is extra-biblical. 
is something different than what we can read in the Bible. And then another heresy is rationalism. Rationalism, which is the exaltation of human reasoning. I have a brain, you have a brain, I can think, and uh, you can think, and my reasoning is of greater importance than what the Bible has to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read there in verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you, some among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, that's rationalism. That's people because Jesus Christ, first of all, prophesied that he would rise from the dead. Second of all, he did rise from the dead. That's clear evidence. And so then Paul is asking, again directed by God, how come some of you, some of the people there in Corinth, were saying there is no resurrection of the dead? The Sadducees were like that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. See, that's rationalism. I can't see it. I've never witnessed anybody rising from the dead, so therefore it doesn't happen. Verse 35 and 36 of 1 Corinthians 15. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So again, the rationalist says, Prove it to me. How's that dead body? Been laying in the grave there for 50 years. How's that body going to come back to life? I mean, come on, get real. That's the attitude of the rationalist. It doesn't make sense. Someone gets their loved one cremated, and they go and they spread those ashes on the river. And we know the water is flowing. Some of those ashes will be heavier than others, and they'll go down to the bottom right there. Some of them will get carried who knows where. How's God going to bring that back together? Impossible. That's the rationalist. He can't figure it out. He can't do it himself. He knows he can't do it. So therefore it can't be done. That's what happens when people are proud. And they can't accept that God is bigger than man. Liberalism. Liberalism came out of France and Germany in the 1800s. It's also sometimes known as modernism. And uh, an example of that is the Jesus Seminar that happened some years back. And in the Jesus Seminar, they doubted the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And again, it's very similar to rationalism. How can a woman become pregnant without a man? Well, we know in our world today it's happening through AI. We know that's happening. So, but that wasn't the case with Mary. The Bible tells us how it happened with Mary. The Holy Ghost is the one that, that caused it. But the liberal, liberalism, the, the followers of liberalism, they, again, they can't accept it because it doesn't happen anymore. They don't believe that Jesus walked on water. There are people that say, well, there was a big rock in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus knew where that rock was, and so he stepped out of the boat and he stepped on that rock and he walked on that rock. 
So the question then that I have for those people, how come Peter, when he got out of the boat, he could also walk on water? And then all of a sudden he sank. Was there a big cavity in that rock or something that he fell down? And, and how did Jesus, if Peter fell down and was, dr- was drowning, how did Jesus manage to get him up and into the boat? If Jesus was walking on the rock and there's this big valley that is deep enough for Peter to drown in. Why didn't Jesus drown in it then? If that's real, if that's what actually happened. And we know it's not what happened. Jesus is the creator. He created gravity. And he can also go beyond gravity. He's not subject to the gravity that he created. He can go beyond that. He left this earth. He didn't have a rocket. There was no rocket strapped to his back. There was no fan up on his head that was propelling and sucking him up. He just left this earth. So liberalism is another heresy. Another one is Gnosticism. Now Gnosticism has a silent G. There's a G at the beginning of the word Gnosticism. And the word Gnostic means to know. So again, the Gnostic is someone who is mixing human philosophy with Christian faith. And you know what? God wants us to know. He wants us to know the truth. That's why he gave us the Bible. But he doesn't want us to exalt ourselves above the Bible. He doesn't want us to think that our views are equal or superior to the Bible. If you take Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, he claims to have found two tablets that were given to him by the angel Moroni. Nobody ever saw that angel. Nobody ever saw those tablets. But based on that, he wrote the Book of Mormon. And if you talk to a Mormon, they will tell you that their Book of Mormon is at least equal with the Bible, if not superior. So they claim, based on Joseph Smith's revelations, that they have superior understanding to what the rest of us poor people have. Because we only have the Bible. So we need to get with the program, according to them. The Catholics... They claim that when the Pope sits in his chair in Rome and he speaks what they call ex cathedra, he is adding some new word to the scriptures. And that's where their false doctrines come from. The Mennonites do the same thing by referring back to the church fathers as if the church fathers are of superior quality to what the Bible is. Jack Hiles, Peter Ruckman were also people who believed in Gnosticism. They may not have said that, but they believed that their word was superior to the Bible. So there are many groups that fall into that same category. Another another heresy is asceticism. A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Asceticism. A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. E-T-I-C-I-S-M. 
And asceticism, the Catholics are famous for that. Go in your Bible, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, and it says there, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, but in not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So asceticism with the Catholics, that's where the monasteries come from. <clears throat> we have a monastery, I don't think it's functioning as a monastery anymore, but up by Bruxelles. There's a monastery, there's monks that, uh, that used to be there. They had a dairy farm there, and they made cheese there, and apparently they had a, a secret recipe for their cheese, and it was apparently very good cheese. But the monks, they chose to separate themselves from the world, and they were going to live isolated lives. And some of them took a vow to being silent, so they never spoke. That was part of their asceticism. They were trying to gain a higher level of spirituality, when I was in Bible school, we were studying about that, and some of the priests were so spiritual, they would climb up on a power pole, and they would sit up there for days. I don't know how they went to the washroom up there or what they did, but they'd sit on that power pole, and they were trying to prove how spiritual they were because they could sit up there for days on end. How they didn't fall off when they were sleeping, I don't know. But that's what they did. It's foolishness. But you see, people get these dumb ideas in their heads. And the sad thing is that people looked at that and said, Wow, what a spiritual person. Instead of realizing, this guy's a cuckoo. We need to get him some help. See, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't look at it right. Allegoricalism, well, that's allegories, allegoric. Uh, that's taking the scriptures and spiritualizing things that are given to us in plain language. And we've talked about that as we go through the book of the Revelation, that there are things that God gives us there, and he says, like as. And so when, he got, when God says like as or like unto or something along that line, when God says that, we know that God is giving us a picture, but it's something that's like this. So we know that that is something that is being spiritualized in the Bible. But when God says that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, that God is not spiritualizing. He's talking to us about the need for us to be saved and to be changed, to give, be given a new life. And that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So that happens at salvation. So allegories uh, are very common in... in uh, popular literature 
But the Bible is not meant to be, everything the Bible says is not meant to be given some secondary meaning. See, and, and the people that believe in, in, in uh, looking at the Bible in that way, they, they, they teach people that you can't understand the Bible, you need to come to me and I'll tell you what it says. And that's, again, a very popular Catholic teaching. Don't even bother to read your Bible. Just come to me and I'll tell you what it says. Very common amongst lost groups. But the Bible, God said, he wants you to read it and he wants me to read it. Yes, we need teachers, we need pastors, but we can read it and there's many things that we can understand in the Bible. Arianism. Arianism denies the full divinity of Jesus Christ. Unitarianism fits into this heresy. Unitarianism is a false religion as well. But Arianism, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And it says there in verses 1 to 3, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they, be of, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Now, we need to understand, you know, there are people, I talked with a man a while back, and uh, talking about uh, some false teacher, and I said, that guy's a false teacher. He said, wait a minute, don't say that, because he confesses Jesus Christ is God, so he's not a false teacher. You see, the Bible tells us that there are many false Christs. And when a man gets up and starts talking heresy regarding the Bible, but he says, I believe in Jesus, which Jesus is he believing in? Because if you believe in Jesus, you're going to teach Bible doctrine. If you have a false Christ, you're going to teach whatever comes into your head. You're going to make it up as you go. You're going to fit into these categories that we've been listening listing here. And so... We don't need to be fooled by someone. Wait a minute, that guy says he believes in Jesus, so you can't call him a heretic. Well, I certainly can if he's not teaching what the Bible says. But again, you see, people are so ignorant that they take this, these verses and they read them, but they don't read them in the context of the passage or of the scripture, and they don't understand that Jesus doesn't contradict himself and Jesus exposed the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the lawyers and the scribes. He exposed all of them and some of the stuff that we've talked here already, the heresies, are things that those people believed in. And so we don't have to we don't have to be blind and say, well, I guess, yeah, I guess the guy says he believes in Jesus, so I guess I can't say nothing about him. Which Jesus? There's only one true Jesus. And the last one we're going to look at, and we're out of time, so we're going to stop with this next one, but that's Nicolaitism. 
And that one is in the book of the Revelation that's mentioned a few times. And that's the word Nicolaitan means people rule. It's talking about, uh, like for instance in Catholicism where the Pope is the head and then they have bishops and cardinals and then under them they have the priests and all of these people they claim are ahead and are above everybody else. So you don't argue with the Pope, you don't argue with the cardinals and bishops, and you don't argue with the priest. You just accept what they say, it's the truth, and you understand that you're just an ignorant little person and you just got to accept them and that's it. And uh, the Bible says no. The, the Apostle Paul used the argument and the biblical argument that whatever the scripture says, if someone wants to come out and give you something that's contrary to the scripture, that's to be rejected. But that wasn't Paul making himself better than anybody else. God is the one who enabled Paul to write the scriptures that he wrote. It repeated the same thing for any of the writers of the scriptures. And so... Our authority is the Bible. So anything that I tell you from the Bible, you should believe it. If I give you some interpretation, you can maybe, you can say, well, okay, that's your interpretation. I don't believe that. Okay, so fine. Now we can discuss it. I can tell you where I got my interpretation from, why I believe what I believe. Now you also tell me where you got yours from. Well, I just don't believe it. Well, that doesn't wash. That doesn't wash. You have to have more than that. So again, we can know. But that's the problem that we're facing and have faced since the time of the apostles, that there are people that throw out these ideas which are useless, and the apostles, they addressed them. They confronted the people, just like we read in Acts chapter 15. But since that time... Christians have become weaker. They've not been taught properly. They've not believed the word of God. And so they haven't known, well, okay, this guy says that, that guy says that, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to be quiet and let him do his thing and I'll do mine and whatever. And that's the mess we're in today. We're never going to stop the false teachers but we need to expose them just like Jesus did just like the apostles did so that people can can hear okay that's what that guy said but here's what the Bible says and the Bible is the word of God so I'm going to choose what God says and most people are going to say I don't believe that I'm going to believe what that guy over there says he's well known and he's rich and whatever else they're going to believe him that's a choice people need to make But people always need to be reminded, here's what God says. That's the truth. And we don't have to concern ourselves, again, as sometimes people do, we don't have to concern ourselves with winning the argument. If we tell people what God says, we're already on the winning side. Whether people accept it or not doesn't matter. It's not the point. Again, Jesus taught the multitudes... 5,000 men at one point besides women and children. And yet he was arrested and those same people, some of them at least, were standing there, crucify him, crucify him. They heard the truth. They saw the proof that Jesus is the Messiah. 
and yet they wanted him dead. Did Jesus say, okay, I give up, you guys win, I'll go home? No. He went to the cross because he is the Messiah. He died on that cross, he shed his blood on that cross, he was taken down off that cross and buried as a dead man. He rose again victorious over sin and death on the third day, and he is seated in heaven today beside his heavenly Father. And the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we're already on the winning side if we believe the Bible. It doesn't matter whether people believe us or not. What matters is are we honoring God and teaching the truth? That's what matters. <clears throat> and that's why the Bible talks so much about humility. We need humility in our lives so that we can be a help to others. So if you're listening today and you're not saved, again, you know, you have to choose. You have to decide, what am I going to believe? And the wise person takes the Bible as their authority, examines it, and believes what God says. That's the important thing. Believe what God says. Build your life on the truth. And the Bible says today, don't harden yourself as in the day of provocation. Don't be like the Jews were in the wilderness. Believe what the Bible says. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Get saved. And then find a good church. Don't sit at home. Find a good church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His church is built upon him. And if he says he's going to build it, we can know he's building it. So find a good church. Join a good church and serve God through that local church. Honor God and be blessed of him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for that word, thankful that we can study church history and we can see how that false teaching was always around since the fall and how that different aspects of it were developed even in the first century have carried on till today. But we have the Word of God. We don't have to just simply shrug our shoulders and walk away. We can help people to see there still is the truth. And even if people mock us and scoff at us, it doesn't mean we should quit. We need to help people to see the truth, to see the importance of believing the truth. Because in the end, everyone is going to stand before the true God. And all of the heresies aren't going to matter. The truth is what matters. And so we pray this, this evening that anyone that's listening, that they might take thy word seriously and see the importance of humility and believing the truth and being set free to honor thee and know thy blessing. May thy will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name.